Sass Institute v. Oyaku was a U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court held the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, when conducting interpartist review, must make a judgment on all patent claims contested by the petitioner. It was Jones Day that took that case all the way to the high court, ultimately prevailing for Sass Institute. We recorded a Jones Day Talks program not long after, and Jones Day partner Dave Cochran called the decision a game-changer for patent litigation. Dave Cochran's back, along with Jones Day partner Matt Johnson, to update us and explain how fast that game has actually changed. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks Intellectual Property. Jones Day partner Dave Cochran has counseled clients in more than 60 post-grant trials before the Patent Trial and Appeal Board of the U.S. Patent Office. Matt Johnson, also a Jones Day partner, currently co-chairs the firm's PTAB subpractice. Dave Cochran, Matt Johnson, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Let's talk about SAS Institute. And Dave, why don't you bring us up to date? SAS Institute via Yanku. Again, we covered this on an earlier podcast that our, our listeners can, can find on the Jones Day site. But talk about SAS Institute, how the firm was involved, and what the ultimate decision was, and how it's affecting patent law. Absolutely, Dave. You'll remember from our last discussion, the, the SAS case related to a procedure that occurs at the Patent and Trademark Office called inter partes review. And this was put in place as part of the America Invents Act back in 2012. And it's, it was basically put in place as a way of administratively challenging patents at the Patent Office without having to do that at the district court, and, and which is much more costly to challenge a patent at the district court. So the, the America Invents Act put in place this tribunal called the Patent Trial and Appeal Board that conducts these inter partes reviews, which are basically administrative patent challenges. And it, it has become the most popular destination for patent disputes in the United States, uh, surpassing even the district courts in Texas and California and in Delaware. And it, it really is an incredible thing that has happened in the patent law in, in the last couple of years. And so, some evidence of that, I can just say our case, which was the SAS versus Iancu Supreme Court case, there was a second case that was heard also last term called Oil States that related to the PTAB. Mm -hmm. And in fact, just last week, the Supreme Court decided to take another case up that deals, another PTAB case up, which deals with whether or not the government, part of the United States government, can be a petitioner in an inter partes review, which is kind of an interesting question, right? Because the, the patent right. office issues the patent in the first place, the Commerce Department. And the question in that case is whether another part of the government can come in and challenge a patent that's been issued by the patent office. Is this an especially active area of patent law? So it is It is literally the hottest area of patent law and has been for the last, last couple of years. Our case, you may recall from our prior conversation, our case dealt with a, a relatively obscure part of the patent statute, mm -hmm. which required the Patent Trial and Appeal Board to issue a final decision at the end of the process on all the claims, the patent claims that were challenged by the petitioner. And, and that's, and that's case, key, right? All the claims is the way I remember you guys describing yeah. it last time. You can't pick it's, and it, choose. They can't ignore parts of the petition, right? That's exactly right. And that was our, our the entire SAS versus Yanku case which we took all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, and, and thankfully we were able to prevail, dealt with whether or not the Patent Office could sort of pick and choose which claims they wanted to address and which, which what are called grounds, which are the types of challenges that you can bring when you file a petition. And we took that question to the Supreme Court and said, hey, the, the statute says they have to address all the challenge claims, not just some of them, not just the ones they want to. 
and the patent office had issued a regulation saying, hey, we don't have to address everything. We can address whatever we want. And that, that was the issue. You know, do they have to address it all or can they address some of it? And, and we took that, that question to the Supreme Court. And uh, as you noted, back in April, the SAS decision came down and the Supreme Court decision by, uh, led by Judge Gorsuch uh, said, no, the, the statute says you've got to address all the challenged claims and that's what you're going to have to do. And since then, as, as we'll talk about in, in more detail now today, since then, we're seeing a, a pretty, pretty dramatic impact on the procedures and, and uh, petitions at the, at the Patent Trail and Appeal Board because of that decision. Okay, let's talk about this. So now PTAB has to take up the entire case as presented by a petitioner or not take it up at all. Is this just administrative or does this have real world consequences and applications? Matt, to you. Yeah, I think this is something that has real-world impacts, real-world consequences. And a lot of that comes from the statutory landscape that the PTAB has to operate uh, within. There are strict time limits set by statute that the the PTAB has to adhere to, one of those being that they have one year to administer a trial from the day they give their institution decision to the day they uh, issue their final written decision. They have exactly one year to, to get that done. And there's a lot of things that need to be done in that time period. Each party has to file one to two briefs expert depositions need to be taken, an oral argument takes place, and then the board has to write their decision, their ultimate decision, thumbs up or thumbs down on the patentability of the claims, and further 60 to 70 pages of technical reasoning to back that decision up so that it can withstand appeal. How did we get here to where a partial institution was somehow acceptable? So, yeah, I'm definitely sympathetic to, to the judges, and I understand where the partial institution practice uh, came from. There's a lot to be done, limited time, so it was good for them to be able to, to trim down their, their cases by hearing fewer than all of the grounds presented by a petitioner or trimming out some of the claims that the, they don't think the petitioner made a good case on. But the practical implications of that for for the litigants was was really pretty significant. I can illustrate that with an, an example. If you think if I say sued you for infringing claims one through ten of my patent, and the board at the institution decision said, well, we like the petitioner's challenge of claims one through nine of my patent, but we don't think he did a good enough job on claim ten, so we're not going to institute trial on claim ten. Right from the institution of the trial, we knew that the PTAB litigation wasn't going to be dispositive for our dispute. Claim 10 was going to survive no matter what happened uh, in the rest of the case. Mm-hmm. Now that's no longer a possibility. Now the PTAB is going to take up the case as presented by the petitioner. If they decide to institute, they're going to hear that entire case, issue a final written decision that will usually be on all of the asserted claims and they'll issue a final written decision, either recommending those claims for cancellation or saying the petitioner loses, didn't make enough uh, a good enough case, and they'll be subject to estoppel. The, uh, the defenses that they can raise back at district court will be more limited after losing at the PTAB. So either way now, with the board having to take up the entire case as presented by the petitioner, there's going to be a simplification of issues. Okay, so how does this play out? From a practical standpoint, what changes? There's either going to be claims knocked out or estoppel applying against the petitioner, and where that wasn't always necessarily the case via the partial institution practice. 
So the lack of so-called fractured cases simplifies the process at the district court level. So, Dave, I've got to imagine district court judges will like this development and what came out of the SAS Institute case ultimately. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's, I, I mentioned the, the PTAB has become the most popular place for patent uh, disputes in the United States. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the probability of invalidating a patent at the Patent Trail and Appeal Board is significantly higher than invalidating a patent in a district court proceeding. Significantly higher, probably twice as likely. Wow. So that's that's one reason. The other reason is cost. You know, a, a traditional district court patent litigation, even medium complexity case with one patent might cost several million dollars to defend against. Whereas a, a filing a petition, if you're the defendant in a lawsuit and you file a petition at the PTAB, conducting that matter and challenging validity at the patent office would only cost maybe 10% of what it would cost to challenge, ultimately to challenge validity in the district court. Oh, gosh, there's no so, contest. So that's a major reason why it's so popular. And the other reason is that there is a high probability that if you can get the PTAB to uh, accept your petition, that if there is a parallel district court case, that the district court will stay the lawsuit while you're fighting it out at, uh, at the patent office. And so our, this, the SAS decision has made it easier for district court judges to stay cases because now you don't have any partial institution. You don't have, you know, some of the claims are addressed by the PTAB, but some of the claims are not. That issue doesn't exist anymore. So now it should be, and I think the data will show, even, even in the last couple of months, but over time, that the probability of getting a district court case stayed pending the PTAB matter uh, will significantly increase. Over to Matt Johnson. Matt, is that how you see this working from here? Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly right. One of the factors that the district court considers when deciding whether to grant a stay is whether the PTAB matter will simplify the issues uh, in the trial. In the partial institution days, you know, that wasn't a certainty. Now it's going to simplify the issues one way or the other. And, and as Dave mentioned, that, that shows up in the data. We've looked uh, at stay decisions in, since May of 2018, so over the last four or five months. And, and we see an increase in, in stay grants for motions filed post-institution of a, of a PTAB trial. And we think that's going to continue to go up but where the, the denial of a stay motion after institution of a PTAB trial is really going to be much more the exception rather than any kind of norm. Well, I think you touched on this a little bit, Matt, but as a practical matter then, the SAS mandate will change the way PTAB makes institution decisions then, correct? Yeah, I, th I think it's going to have to, and it has uh, as the as the data has played out. There's a the PTAP has a limited uh, amount of resources. They have fewer than 300 ALJs making the decisions in these cases. The last few years, the petition filings have been up in the 1,700, 1,800 a year realm. So, their judges are sitting on three judge panels. There's a lot of work to to be done here, and and limited resources for it. Now, with the SAS decision, when the board does decide to take up a trial, they're not allowed to simplify it anymore. So each trial is going to be somewhat more complex. And so accordingly, the PTAB is going to be able to accept institute uh, a fewer number of trials. And, and we've seen that play out in the, in the numbers. Matt, I think you said you had some data for us. Over the first four months of 2018, institution rates were in the mid-60%, 66.6% through January through April of 2018. 
And uh, since May, May through September of 2018, that rate has dropped uh, a little over 10%. We're down to 56.5% institution rate. And a lot of where we've seen the decline in institution is what is generally called discretionary denials, where there's a minimum threshold that a party, a petitioner has to meet to get in the door at the PTAB, but that's not dispositive of whether the PTAB will institute trial or not. Uh, the PTAB also has discretion to pick and choose the cases that it wants to hear. And, and they've, uh, you know, outwardly said that they do this immediately after the SAS case. Ex-Chief Judge Rusky said a petition that looks overly complex, that looks like it's borderline or maybe playing games with the rules, they may decline to institute that trial, even though it meets the, the minimum standards for an acceptable mm-hmm. petition. You know, we're definitely going to see a decline in the institution rate. We have seen it, and it it manifests itself through these discretionary denials. Let's talk about institution rates. From a strategic standpoint or practical standpoint, Dave, what are petitioners doing to try to increase their chances of institution after SAS? One thing I can tell you about patent attorneys, having, having been a patent attorney now for almost 25 years, is patent attorneys are really clever people. And so whenever something, if there's a change to the patent statute or there's some new case precedent comes out like this one, they'll react to it. And and that's a, that's exactly what you know what we're seeing what we're seeing here in the in the months that have come from the SAS case is patent attorneys who are who are in this area are are trying to come up with some clever ways to potentially get around what uh, Judge Gorsuch found in the in the SAS case and and before I get to that I just want to go back to one one other thing which is uh, I think an interesting point which is that the 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 SAS case and the, and the part of the statute that our our case dealt with said that the, the PTAB had to issue a final decision on all the challenged claims. Right. And that's ultimately what, you know, what we won on. But what, what has happened since then is that the, the patent office has taken the position that, that because of the SAS case, that means that not only do they have to address all the challenged claims, but they have to address all the grounds, which are the different attacks, essentially, that are brought in the petition. So I could, I could file a petition and, and attack your claims on three or four different grounds. Okay. Before the SAS case, they would not only pick and choose what claims they were going to address, but they would also pick and choose what grounds that they were going to address. Wow. And so, so even though, the, even though the, the decision in the SAS case really only touches on the claims, the way that the PTAB and the Patent Office have interpreted that decision, they're now addressing everything in the petition, including if you have five or six separate grounds, they will, they, will, they will address all of those. And so because of that, one of the, one of the things that, that we're starting to see is that folks are filing multiple petitions when previously they would have just filed one petition. And, and the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to hedge their bets a little bit that, well, if we file, if we filed everything in one petition and we had some grounds that were stronger than others, that, that as Matt commented, we, we could be t- potentially taking the taking a chance that the whole thing's going to get denied. Okay. And so instead of putting all of our eggs into this one basket, the w- single petition, now now what we're seeing is is some folks are filing multiple petitions and maybe putting some of the stronger grounds in in one petition and maybe maybe some of the weaker ones in 
you know, in second, third, fourth, fifth, even six petitions, which which we've seen, which we've seen recently. So that's that's one thing that that we're seeing. Hard, it's hard to say right now. That's a relatively new trick that some folks are adopting. It's hard to know for sure if that's going to work or not. But it doesn't sound very efficient, if nothing else. Let alone if it is actually going to work. But that, that's that's a lot of plates to have spinning, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's costly. It's costly right, too right. because you, you've got a you got a you know fairly hefty filing fee for these for these petitions, and so th- that's a technique that only you know only um, you know companies that are fairly well healed can can afford to uh, can can afford to uh, to dabble in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a strategy for the the one percent. I wonder if uh, how the PTAB is going to going to ultimately react to it. Be interesting to see. You know institution decisions don't come until uh, six months after a petition gets filed. So the, these petitions with the, the new uh, new strategies have been invented, haven't come up for institution decisions yet, but the board generally is on guard for, for game playing. And uh, I, w- I was so. going to say those guys, you know, weren't born yesterday, right? I mean, they're, they're onto this. They'll see this, won't they? I and mean, you said six months. So when can we expect decisions to come down based on this first round of uh, this new kind of strategy we've seen emerging? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be in the December, January time oh, frame. Okay. Uh, you know, it probably takes a, a couple months for folks to, to react. So the, those petitions that were filed in, in June, July will be coming up for institution decision decisions beginning of the year. Long term, how will the SAS decision affect the popularity of PTAB? Will it slow things down, speed it up? What do you think is going to happen with the PTAB filings after SAS? I, I think it's. Um, I think it'll, it'll remain the same. I mean, we'll have to we'll have to look over time. But when we talked last time um, about the case, and you, you would ask me about, well, you know, what, what impact is this going to have? And and I said, well, I said first of all, I think it's going to result in higher quality petitions, streamlined petitions, and I don't think it's going to create a whole lot more work for for the patent trail and appeal board. And I think we're starting to see that that is happening. There are less petitions that are being granted, but there's still, there's still a lot. And because of the all or nothing approach, I think folks, people who are smart are looking at this saying, you know, we really need to focus our petition so that we only present the best ground or grounds that, that we have. And so I think, I think we're, we're already starting to see that happening. And I don't, I don't think it's going to have a long-term effect on the popularity of the PTAB, primarily for the reasons I said before, which is that it's still a much higher probability that you're going to prevail at the patent office than you will in a district court on a validity challenge. And if you can get that district court case stayed, which is a huge reason that people come to the PTAB because they don't want the burdensome, you know, discovery from a district court case, and they don't want the cost. It costs millions of dollars to defend a patent infringement case, whereas the PTAB case is is much more much more efficient and and oftentimes much more effective. So I think that'll all continue to be the case, and I think we'll see uh, the same number of petitions that have been filed in the last last couple of years. I think we'll see that uh, maintain over the next couple of years as well. Matt, any observations from you regarding the same question? 
Yeah, I, I think Dave's exactly right. The benefits to a petitioner once you get in the PTAB, once you get a trial instituted are, are immense. That stays or the PTAB's ultimate cancellation rate of claims is is up in the 80% range, which is way higher than anything you're ever going to see uh, in, in a district court. So the drive to get the, at those benefits is still going to be there for petitioners. You know, anything that's good for petitioners is going to drive filings. Things that are bad for petitioners are, are going to, uh, you know, lessen filings. But on, on the whole here, I, I don't know that this uh, the SAS decision is necessarily better for petitioners or, or patent owners. You know, lower institution rate is, you yeah. know, on its face, probably bad for petitioners. But no fractured cases means that uh, you're going to get going to get more stays. That there's going to be fewer cases where you you know at the institution decision that you're still going back to the district court. I, I think that's going to be a, a positive for petitioners. And the downside of getting uh, a petition denied is is it's not the end of the world. There's no estoppel that applies. So. I think on the whole, uh, it's closer to neutral than patent owner friendly. And actually, the data, uh, again, over the past five months since the SAS case, you might have expected filings to go down, but they're actually up 7.2% over the first four months of the year. So so the PTAB remains popular. I think fiscal year 2018 is going to ultimately have been a a little lower on the the total filings, but but not by much. And I, I don't think that that's completely attributable to to the SAS case. Going forward, I think there's other events on the horizon that, that might have a larger effect on petition filing rates. Things like the new claim construction standard uh, that's going to go in effect uh, in a couple weeks. We're going to go to from the broadest reasonable interpretation standard that was generally thought to be petitioner friendly to the probably more patent owner friendly Phillips standard. And then the PTAB announced new procedures for motions to amend that are going to make uh, amendments theoretically easier for patent owners. Those are going to go into effect in December. So there's a number of events coming up here in the in the near term that I think would be bigger drivers of filing rates, and they're also going to give us more things to talk about the next time we join you. Sure, and we will. But I, I got to ask you both. How do you guys stay current with all this? I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't think patent law was necessarily something that was changing and evolving so often and so quickly. I mean, I know you're going to say, it's, well, it's our job. It's what we do. But, I mean, these things, just since I've been talking to you guys the last year or so about matters like this, these things are bouncing around all the time. Seriously, how do you stay current and how do you advise clients? Clients might hear things about the SAS Institute case. I mean, it's got to be, you got to spend half your life researching these things, right? How do you stay up? Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, this is what I said before. This is the probably the most rapidly, the PTAB stuff is the most rapidly uh, changing area of patent law that, that, that has existed in the last, in the last couple of years. But patent law in general, even though it's, you know, it's a nationwide, it's federal law. Um, and even though we have one appellate court that hears all the appeals from district court cases, you would think it would be relatively static, but it's not. It changes all the time. And especially with the PTAB issuing, PTAB issues new decisions every day. There, yeah. There's a half a dozen or a dozen new decisions every day. So how do you keep up on it? Yeah. Lots of reading. You gotta, you just gotta read, read, read. Right. Um, and, and the way, one of the ways that we uh, keep our clients abreast of it at, at Jones Day, anyways, we have a PTAB litigation blog, and we've got you know several dozen attorneys in our IP group that are dedicated to writing content for for a blog. 
And so we're, we're pushing out articles, you know, as, as fast as we can find, you know, interesting uh, articles to write about. You know, we're pushing them out on our blog so that our, our clients can keep abreast of, of what's going on. But it's um, it's definitely challenging because, as Matt said, there's there's legislative changes. There's changes at the, at the PTAB in terms of their policy. Um, there's you know, there's federal circuit cases about PTAB yeah. uh, cases. There are PTAB cases. There are Supreme Court cases. There, there's just there's a huge volume of information to keep track of, and so you know you just do the best you can. Oh, no yeah. doubt, and and you and you guys do. In fact, I was going to plug the uh, blog on you for the way out, but yeah, it's exceptional, and you guys have done a fine job there. Dave, Matt, hey, thank you so much. Uh, we will talk soon. For more information on Jones Day's IP practice, visit the firm's practice page at jonesday.com and click the intellectual property link. And don't forget to check out the PTAB blog that Dave Cochran was referring to. It's updated constantly, and it's a great resource. Find that at the Publications tab on the IP Practice page, or just visit a search engine and type Jones Day PTAB blog. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the Android Podcast app. Thanks for listening to Jones Day Talks Intellectual Property. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.